So people have been asking what's going on. Um, and gosh, I mean, I'm going to talk about this this morning. Um, my, my pride wants to say, oh, man, I mean, we just are setting the world on fire. But this has actually been sort of like the most difficult year of my life, um, of, of our life, uh, just in ministry. I'll tell you a little bit about it, and then we'll, we'll jump into Psalm 145. But um, gosh, where do I even start? The planted this church when I was 25 years old. Started it. I'm now 35. Getting really old, gray here. My mom informed me this is poor diet. That when you have gray in your beard, my mom's solution to everything is fiber. So if you you know if you got a sore back, you need more fiber. So I got gray in my beard. Apparently, it's this it's too much soda. So anyway, totally nothing to do with that. But I planted this church when I was 25 years old. Uh, started in a house just over here. If Belknap could continue, it was on Belknap. People that were part of that group uh, quickly vanished, um, and we were left with with pretty much nothing. And I thought, you know what, Lord, I, I kind of didn't really want to come here and so maybe i'll just not do it is that cool and this one guy's like how about i rent out a little place and we'll see how it goes and i'll pay for it for six months so i thought well i guess i can do that it gives me an excuse to teach i don't have anywhere else to teach so i can do that so we did that and 25 years old i thought i knew it all and i knew nothing um arrogance and ignorance not a good combination um and, and that was certainly me, made a lot of mistakes. And you guys, uh, we, we started like a Thursday night thing after the, the house deal. Everybody vanished. We started this Thursday night and it kind of grew. I was sort of shocked. Like the first week people actually showed up. For four months we'd met in this house. Not one new person ever came. We went to Crooked River School in the library. Have you ever been in that library? It's all weird and funky. We met in there. I taught through Revelation. Don't know why I decided to teach through Revelation. If you were a part of that study, forget everything I said. I knew nothing. That was terrible. But it grew. Um, well, you know, continued to grow, and God's been doing an amazing work here. Uh, of course, you know, about two years ago, the Lord began to stir me, um, you know, moved to Fort Collins, my family and I. And I felt like, you know, moving, hey, I'm, gonna, I'm 34 years old. I'm now 35. I mean, I kind of got this together. I've done, been doing this a while. I've been a pastor for 12 years. I've planted a church. Um, this is going to go well. And got there, quickly realized that we were starting completely over. I don't know if you've ever had just a realization like that, maybe like a new job or something. And, and you get there, and it's just like, oh, man, this is, i got to learn something completely new, whatever. You know, we got no money. We know no one. Um, you know, we just plopped down in this city. We got a few people that we kind of connected with, quickly realized they wanted nothing to do with, like, actually being a part of the church. They just kind of wanted to, like, help. So it's like, okay, it would be nice if you actually were going to come. Um, but <laughs> they wanted to, like, help from afar or something. Um, so we, we were like, we got nobody. So, you know, what are we doing? And had a couple gatherings with some people that were interested, and, and that went pretty well. Um, but it was like this perfect storm. 
of realizing I'm starting completely over and then being pursued by this church, other church planter. He actually had pursued me before we left here, contacted me, uh, heard about what we were doing, wanted to join. I told him, you're out of your mind. I don't want to do that. I've been a lead pastor for eight years. I, you know, it's, uh, no, I'm not going to do this like co-pastor thing. No, I'm not, I'm not interested. Then, perfect storm, right? Realize we're starting completely over. Realizing I've got no help. We know no one. So he keeps pursuing me. It starts to sound like a better idea all the time. He's got people. He knows people. Um, good guy. Uh, loves the Lord. Very similar visions and desires of what we wanted to do. It all seemed like a, a great idea. Well, it wasn't. Um, it was one of the worst decisions I've ever made. Uh, we joined up um, about October of last year, just about a year ago. Uh, it was a year ago, actually. Um, and out front, things were going well. I mean, we quickly grew to about 100 people, probably more than that. Um, you know, things externally looked amazing. I mean, I was thinking, man, this is awesome. Have, I've been here for six weeks. Things are, are already rocking. Um, but behind the scenes, we're having turmoil, which is what happens when you get two lead guys together, two church planters uh, who want to express their vision, and we're knocking heads and sinning against one another and just not, it's not going well. And I'm miserable. Meanwhile, the people that were part of his group don't like me, by and large. Um, I was telling first service, like, eight years here, I don't think I ever received a nasty email, and I deserve some. Not, not a letter, nothing. I don't know. You guys need to be on the ball, because I certainly deserve some for stuff I said. But, uh, I mean, it didn't take long. I'm getting those, you know, and I'm like, what is going on? What have I put myself in? What have I done? This is crazy. If I had hair, I'd have been pulling it out. Um, got people wanting to micromanage, people, you know, wanting to use leverage. You know, we give a lot. And, um, just people telling me I'm not called, I'm not qualified. Uh, people telling me that I shouldn't be teaching, I'm not a Bible teacher. Um, and I'm, it was like twilight zone. I was just like, Lord, maybe I'm not. Like, may, maybe, this is, maybe this is true. And, and it was just a really, really difficult season. Four months wasn't that long, but it seemed really long. Finally, kind of mutual, decided, look, we got to part ways. Um, won't get into all the, the nuances of that. But long, I get a phone call from a, a, a pastor friend. Hey, what, what, are you, what are you going to be left with? You know, what, what can you take encouragement in? I think we'll have about 30 people with us. That's what I thought. 30 people, I think we can build on that. Quickly realized we had about three people. Um, we, we had nothing. No resources, nobody left. Um, not only is that humbling, uh, it, it, was, it was humiliating, and, and also it was, like, it was super discouraging. Like, okay, I've been working pretty hard at this, gathering people, uh, drawing people to this. And most of them are not going to be around. They're not going to be helping. 
Um, so we're starting over. And I felt like, have you ever crashed on a bicycle? And you just kind of lay there, like what just happened? And what, what's broken, you know, it, it, do I need plastic surgery? And, and that's what I felt. I just was laying there probably for about a month. You know, and a friend told me, man, take a couple days and then just get back on the saddle. I couldn't get back on the saddle. I didn't want to get back on the saddle. Like for the first time, legitimately in my ministry, I had zero vision, zero desire, zero energy. I, I love people. I love God's word, but I had nothing. Just like at that time you asked me, what's your vision? Like get out of bed pretty much. Um, hope that um, I, I don't kill myself today. That, that was kind of my, that was it. I just had to. Nothing, and and the Lord just began just ministering uh, to my heart, rooting out stuff that that was so so ingrained in me that I didn't even realize was there. Probably the biggest thing, my my identity being wrapped up in who I was as a pastor, and and so that when I was being criticized. When I realized that none of these people were behind me, basically they just gave me the middle finger and said, we don't like you, you're not called, uh, that just crushed me. And the sovereignty of God was in all of that in, in, in really showing me, like, Ryan, look, I've done a good work through you. I will continue to. This, I will use you. But right now, I'm doing a work in you. And Kevin and I were talking last night. He said, what, what's the Lord been showing you? I'll tell you. It's like, without a doubt, here's what it is. I've always had a big vision for gospel transformation for my city. When, when here in Prineville, you guys heard it. I preached it all the time. Mission. I've had a big, big vision for gospel transformation in, in the city, Fort Collins, Prineville, wherever. But, man, it hit me really hard during this season. Ryan, I want you to have as big of a vision for gospel transformation in your own heart as you do for the city. It, it's a problem. It's a legitimate problem. If your vision for the city is bigger than your vision for your own heart. If your vision for gospel transformation in the city is bigger than your vision for gospel transformation in your own heart. And man, it took some tough things for me to see that. And so I don't mean to be Debbie Downer, you know, wah, wah, wah. I, I really don't. Um, Saturday Night Life, anybody? <laughs> Got nothing out of that. Um, it's a great skit. Look it up on YouTube. Uh, I don't mean to be Debbie Downer. Like, I really, really wish I could get up here and say, oh, man, we are rocking for the kids. And, you know, I mean, and look, since then, got up. Lord's doing a work in me. Lord's doing a work in Andrea, doing a work in all of us. You know, I got to tell my family, like, look. I brought you 1,100 miles away. You, you know no one. And now the people you thought you knew and the friends you thought you had, yeah, they're gone. So 
we're starting over again, all right? Um, and so it's tough. It's hard. And, but it, in fact, I remember talking to my mom. She said, well, what are you going to do? You, you're going to, you know, you're going to come back? You, you want to move back to Washington? You can live with me. She'd love that. Um, I'm like, look, I got nowhere to go. I got nothing. I couldn't even move if I wanted to. Couldn't afford the U-Haul. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Three days been enough. Yeah, I feel you. Um, it's like kind of like Peter, you know, like where else am I going to go? This is it. Get to work. And, and it's like with what? Where? Who? Start get, get emails. Hey, we're interested in what you're doing. I want to email back. We got nothing to be a part of. Like, I know you're interested, but we've got nothing. The website looks good, yeah, but behind that website, there is zero. Nothing, nada. You know, <laughs> right back, hey, man, love to have you. People show up, and it's the awkward phase. And I remember it here. Some of you were part of it. It's like eight people are there, you know, show up. You got a new couple. They think it's going to be amazing. They're, they're like, <whistles> it's like crickets. Like, so, what's going on? This is it. People start coming. Um, I realize we need somebody to play music. We're doing, like, some YouTube videos. Terrible. So I, I run a Craigslist ad. I would have never done this when I was 25. I run a Craigslist ad. Need worship leader. Right? We get crazies coming out of the woodwork. People, I got more email. Actually, for a while... <laughs> For a while, that was, that was Missio Day. It was people from Craigslist who want to be our worship leader. <laughs> it was amazing. 55-year-old guy who, like, burnout hippie, wants to, you know, play. He, okay, we got eight people, right? He brings more sound equipment than, like, a U2 show. I mean, this was unbelievable. He's packing it out of his van. And I'm like going, dude, do you know that we don't have, like, we don't even need any sound system, let alone what you're bringing here. He's just, I mean, he just blows the roof off this place, right? And everybody's just like, like, what the heck? And he wasn't very good. And... He wants to meet with me. I'm, the only time he could meet, because our schedules conflict, I meet with the dude at like a Denny's at like one in the morning. This is the life of a church planner. I meet with him. I'm like, dude, look, I think you got some skill. I think you got a good heart, but I don't know that you're going to be like our ultimate guy. You don't really fit my vision. His face drops. He's gone. See ya. Talks bad about me. Um... I could go on and on. But anyway, 11 o'clock at night, because the church line's in our house like a um, magic jack. Get a phone call at 11 o'clock at night on the church line. Like, who is What the heck? Pick it up. Yeah, this is uh, Kyle. He's all nervous. And I, I read your thing on Craigslist. And, man, I I'm just coming out of a tough season. And uh, I... I just I read your website. It sounds really amazing, and 
you think we could get together? So we get together. The guy is a gem. I mean, he's a gem. Uh, married, he and his wife, they've been married for about a month. Um, just been able to pour into him. He's, he's a teachable guy. He's young. Um, and just really, really, the, that was like the encouragement at that time. Like I needed, like something can happen here. You know, this, this just doesn't happen. You don't find legitimate people who can actually lead something through Craigslist. You just, you know, it's like, I don't even know why I did it, but it, it worked. And, and then the Lord just starts bringing people. People say, hey, what can I do? I want to help. And, you know, things are starting to form. Probably got about 50 adults. Um, and, and the Lord is just kind of forming this really amazing kind of eclectic, mostly young uh, people. Probably average age is probably 25, uh, early marrieds, no kids. Um, you know, we, we've got very, you know, few kids besides like the Averys and us and maybe a few other families. Not a lot of kids, um, but just a lot of young people, a lot of energy and people that really didn't maybe fit real well in, in other churches or people that aren't saved and, and uh, like legitimate relationships happening with lost people, not necessarily in the, the gathering times. And, and we're kind of de-emphasizing that. Like, look, it may not be the best thing for you to invite your friend right now to church. That may turn them off. Just build relationships. And that's happening. My wife uh, is Andrea building some really cool relationships with a couple of unbelieving uh, women. And they actually want to hang out with her. Uh, not that people wouldn't want to hang out with my wife, but she's not a Christian. These people aren't Christians. She is. And they're, they're, they're like pursuing Hanging out and just having lunch. Um, our neighbors, just amazing things going on with our neighbors. And so, really, really cool stuff uh, that's happening. Uh, I thank you guys for your prayers, for your support. Uh, I want to let you guys know how much I love you. Uh, just what I... I'm a crier, so it's, it's a, I, I shouldn't even go there. Um, but uh, the, this work that I was privileged to kind of start and be a part of, great joy in my life. Big, big privilege to be a part. I see anyway, kind of like the way I left. Remember, about a year ago, Ryan crying in the pulpit. Here I am again. I got problems. I got, I got emotional insecurities. <laughs> um, no, but it, it has been the joy. Uh, you know, besides Jesus, my wife, my kids, great joy in my life. Calvary Chapel, Crook County. Psalm 145. Let's, let's do this thing. Um, We are going to, you probably, you know, made a bad decision coming to second service because there's nothing behind this. Um, 
I, you guys remember I'm kind of long-winded, although I've, I've heard, I've kind of seen Rory kind of rivals me. So uh, these are, so strap in, you guys ready? Get to work here. Um, these are four messages, hour, 15 minutes each that, that I'm going to kind of try to condense into one. I'm probably going to cut one point out. But what we're going to talk about, I, I wrestled with the title, um, when, but I, I think it's fitting. Um, because basically th- this message is about having a, that, that we all, and when I say your, I'm including myself, we, we have and, and we do have a small view of God. And, and that's why when, when we sin, it's because we have a small view of God. Uh, our, our view of ourself increases, my view of God decreases, negative emotions, your, your sin, your negative emotions that you've been struggling with maybe for years, it, it's due to theology, it, it's due to a wrong misunderstanding, not that, that's a double negative, but a, a misunderstanding of, of God, Be, because you guys, here's the thing. Theology is not just for academia. It, 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 it's not just for seminary. It, it's not just for pastors. Theology is something that we all have. And, and you either have good theology or bad theology. What, what is theology? It's study of God. And your theology will dictate your lifestyle. Your theology will come out in the way you live your life. And that's, that's what we're going to talk about. A.W. Tozer said this, What comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into your mind as you're worshiping Him, as you're singing songs about God, as you hear His name, as the name Jesus is spoken, what, what comes into your mind? What comes into your mind when you think about God as the most important thing about us, because that perception, that belief, will work itself out in how you live your life. And so I want to talk about three things. There's a, there's a fourth point that I can kind of, I think, get into it, the first point. But before we do that, before we jump in, let's read Psalm 145. Our, our points will come out of this text. Psalm 145. I will extol or praise you, make much of you. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, 
And all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power and make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling And raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you. And you give them their food in due season. You open your hand. You satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways. And kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him. To all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He also hears their cries and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. Guys, I want to look at three truths from this text, three things about God. We'll go over them really quickly. The first is God is great. God is great. We see that in the text. God is great. So that I don't have to be in control. The second would be God is glorious, so that I don't have to fear others. But we're gonna we're gonna skip that. I think I can get to some of those points in other points. So God is great, so that I don't have to be in control. Secondly, God is good, so that I don't have to look elsewhere. And third. God is gracious so that I don't have to prove myself. Because I I hope that even as you hear these truths, that the Holy Spirit is working on your heart because this is the stuff that's been unearthed out of my heart. Simple stuff. I mean, not, not complicated. God is great. I mean, this sounds like a, you know, three year old Sunday school class. God is great. Verse 3. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised and his greatness is unsearchable. You guys, when I taught this as a whole sermon, man, we went into a lot of stuff, a lot of astronomy and a lot of things about the human body just to show how great God is. And I think you're somewhat familiar with that. If you're not, there's a ton of stuff on the internet. Google uh, Louis Giglio. He's got a ton of facts and information just about how vast this universe is. Just how amazing. The the caterpillar has something like 13,000 muscles in its forehead. The caterpillar. I mean, the, the universe. The sun is the closest star to us. 93,000 light years away, that's a long way. That's the first star. If it was any closer, it would burn us up. If it was any further away, we'd freeze to death. And that's one of like millions of stars. Think about that just for a second. How big God is. I mean, you can even get like a telescope and look at the Milky Way, look at our galaxy and think, man, I, this is amazing. 
That's one galaxy out of thousands of galaxies. The earth is like one little mass floating out in this huge, huge creation of God. 93,000 light years away from the sun... And, and that's just like where it starts. That's like the, the starting point. It's like the front door. So what does that mean for me? What does that mean for you? You read this, great is the Lord, his greatness is unsearchable. You read the scriptures, you read Psalm 19 about the, the amazing creation of God and how that ought to just bring us to worship what does that mean, though? What does that mean beyond like an emotional worship service where I'm just so enthralled with God? But how does it work itself out into my life? How does it change me? Because if God is just great and that doesn't change me, that doesn't do a whole lot, at least for me. God is great. Here's the, here's the thing. Here's the application. So that you don't have to be in control. Now, you want to be in control. How do I know that? Because I know I want to be in control. I, I like a nice, ordered life. This has probably been the biggest kind of issue that my wife and I have had. We're going to be married 14 years. Crazy. Biggest pushback, probably. Andrea, her parents are here. Andrea's kind of messy. They know that. They raised her. A little bit messy. She's gotten better. I've, I've tried to hone her. She's kind of messy. She doesn't mind like clutter. She gets that from her mom. I mean, come on, piles. I know. I, I love you. <laughs> I grew up, my mom was, was extremely anal about the house, and it's a dysfunction. So when we were, when, when we were here, when, when I told you this is like a counseling session, now it's even gotten worse that I have family here. When, when we lived here, we still own our house, you can pray for us. I drove by last night with Kevin, I was like, you know, I go months without remembering I still own a house here. I have no idea. That thing could be burnt to the ground. I have no idea. Anyway, so we lived up on, in Powell Butte and kind of, you know, sometimes the house is clean, most of the time not. But my office, my office here, perfect. Thanks to Mike a lot too. Dusting, keeping the garbage empty. But I had everything where I wanted it. Every book, I knew where it was. I put them back. Everything was perfect. And so when things would get kind of like, ah, I feel out of control, I could retreat to my office. My Stupid, right? This little like 8 by 10 room. But man, I felt good. Just like, ah, I'm in control of something. This is my space. I'll tell you how it works itself out a lot in me. Going on trips. Going on a trip, packing up the car, and I'm going nuts inside. I, 
My dad did the same thing. I really wanted to do the whole, like, it's my dad's fault, but it was the same thing. Just kind of, you know, everything had to be packed right and kind of going crazy and getting the house ready. And so now I do that. And the reason why is because I want to be in control. I don't like all the kids' junk. And so what do I do? I get angry. So I tell them, you're not going to bring anything. Then they cry. I throw stuff away. Routinely, I'm going through their rooms throwing stuff away. And and they freak out. They pull it out of the garbage, bring it back in their room. I want to be in control. They're bringing all their junk on the trip. Andrea's got her purse, her night bag, her toiletry bag. All, why does it have to be in the middle? Why does that all need to be in the council? It's falling out on my lap. I'm throwing stuff out the window. We haven't even left the driveway, and I've, sin- I've sinned ten times. I- I've cussed. I've yelled. I mean, it's not a good situation. Everybody's miserable. It- Dad, can't we just stay home? Trips are horrible. Uh, Andrea's crying, you know. You've ruined the trip. I feel bad now, but not bad, not, not bad enough to apologize yet. Now, later, because right now I want to be in control. I, I want to have everything perfect. And there's this need. However that works itself out in your life with your kids... Just having them kind of perfectly lined up, not talking, following you through the grocery store perfectly, not embarrassing you. Whatever it is, whatever thing that you need to be in control of, we all have it. You know these people that are on Oprah and they have OCD and, you know, they've got their clothes alphabetized by the brand name and, you know... Well, that, that's, that's me, that's me without applying the gospel. That's me just letting that go. And that's you. Like, look at that person and say, that's me. It, if I let this go, if I continue to have to be in control of everything and freak out. Some of you have anger problems. A lot of us have anger problems. You understand the what. You're angry. You blow up. You punch stuff. You yell. You understand the what. I don't need to tell you the what. That's why sometimes accountability groups, just for accountability's sake, are worthless. Let's get together. Yep, punched a hole in the wall again this week. Yep, screamed at my wife. Yep, rammed a car into the garage door. You know, whatever it is, just, you know, if that's it, but we don't get to the why, like the root, to say, you know what, man? Like, here's why anger is spilling out of you. Here's what it is. You want to be in control, and you don't believe that God is great. You have a small view of God. And in that moment, you believe, you believe, maybe just for a moment, but you believe that you ought to be in control and that God is screwing it up. Road rage 
in that moment you believe, how dare you invade my little space? How dare you? Do you know how important I am? I'm the king of my kingdom. And you invaded my kingdom. And now you're going to pay for it. Horns, middle fingers, maybe more than that. It's, it's really pretty simple. But man, when you tap into the greatness of God and you see how small you are, not to make yourself feel less, it ought to make you feel more valuable when you apply the gospel to it because you realize Jesus died for you even though you're a pile of poo. That doesn't make me feel small. That makes me feel actually really valued. So grace is this amazing thing that simultaneously gives me a a larger view of humanity, a, a bigger view of what it means to be human, but also it gives me a smaller view of myself. God is great. So you don't have to be in control. You can relinquish that. And so in that moment when you're about to, or about to yell, or about to freak out, And does it ever amaze you how small it is? Like the other day for me, Carson has four, two, two pairs of soccer socks. Special socks. They're like seven, eight bucks. He loses them. Drives me insane. I tell Andrea, put all the soccer stuff in a bag and have it by the door. So that on Saturday for the game, we just grab the bag and we just go. How often do you think that happens? Yeah, never. So the, the other day, we got four pairs. So, you know, I mean, you think you, even if they were mixed and matched, we got one. Where the other three are, no idea. We eventually found them. But not until I have a, a moment. In that moment, just felt like things are out of control. I want the four socks right here. I want to see them, right? And this is driving me insane. Because I want to be in control. Whatever that is, what, however that works itself out for you. I mean... For me, it's not in my garage. I could care less. My garage looks like a joke. And that, that's where Andrea and I butt it. Because she's like, what about the garage? How come the house has got to be perfect, but the garage looks like a nightmare? Hey, don't worry about that. Just, you know, we can, we can work our way through that. I don't need the garage. I don't even know how to use a tool. I never go out there. So it's weird, right? It's just our sin nature. So God is great so that you don't have to be in control. And you know how he reminds you of this a lot? Every day when you go to sleep. You ever think about sleep? Sleep's an amazing thing. Here's the, I think, primary reason for sleep is to remind you that you're not in control. Every day, except for last night when Kevin and I stayed up all night long, but every day you got to put your head on a pillow and remind yourself that you're not in control. God doesn't sleep. 
You put your head on the pillow and it reminds you, I got to get re-energized. I got to get recharged. I'm going to go to sleep and somehow things are going to be okay when I'm asleep. Somebody's looking out for things. That ought to remind you, you're not in control. He is. And when things get out of control, it's because he wants to teach you that he's in control. He'll allow in your little space things to just get whacked. He's in control over the big picture. But in your little space, he's going to allow that so to remind you, I'm great. I got this covered. Just trust me. Man, huge lesson, you guys. Second point, God is good so that I don't have to look elsewhere. Look at, uh, look at verse 9. Actually, verse uh, 7. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness. Verse 9. The Lord is good to all. The goodness of God is, is not something that we, we have to really question whether that's biblical or not. This isn't something you need to go home and check in on. Pretty, pretty sure that's a solid biblical point, right? God is good. Maybe, have you ever been to camp? Remember the whole, God is good all the time. God is good. It makes a good chant. We sing about it. But do we really believe it? I don't know if we do. Because if, if God's good... And when I say good, I don't mean good like the sorbet I had last night, although that was good. I don't even mean good like sex. Like I mean good like ultimate good. Like the definition of good. Not how we use it kind of, you know, like man, he's a really, really good singer. Well, we probably know somebody's better. Or that was, that was such a good meal. Probably wasn't the best meal. But when you say God is good, that means nobody, nothing is better. But is that how you live? Is that how I live? If it is, then I don't have to look elsewhere. See the sorbet I had last night? Yeah, I'm going to look elsewhere. I got a place in Fort Collins I like. Mahalo yogurt. You get to pick out your toppings, put it on a little scale, weigh it. It's kind of cool. Like, I'm not going to say, that's it. That's the ultimate. But with God, He's good. He's the ultimate. There's nothing better. But do you live that way? There's a couple tests, a couple questions that you can ask yourself. To, to really determine whether God is good to you. The first, how would you answer this question? Fill in this blank. My life would be better if. My life would be better if. My life would be better if I had some money. Hey, I resonate with that. It'd be nice to actually be able to pay the bills. I get that. But my life wouldn't be better. My life would be better if I had a job. No, you'll have a job. And it's work. Some of you guys that are unemployed, you've worked before. 
doesn't make your life better. Some of you are saying, oh man, my life would be better if I got married. Well, just talk to any of us in here that have been married for more than a couple days. It doesn't make your life better. It, ma- it, it makes it fun in a lot of ways. It's a, it's a profound joy. But it complicates things really fast. Right? Single people, it's not going to make your life better. And, and we don't learn this lesson. Because, you know, 60% of marriages in the United States end in divorce. Do you know what the statistics are for the second marriage? After you've been divorced once and you get married again? It's off the charts. Off the charts. It's because people are telling themselves, my life would be better if, if I had somebody. My life would be better if I was single. Maybe some of you married people are saying that. Man, if I get rid of this ball and chain, my life would be better. It's not going to get better. Still got you to deal with. Still got your heart, your sin, your crap. It's not going to get better. What, how would you answer that? My life would be better if I just had a degree. If I would, had just finished my degree and I could get that job I want. You know what? Right now the United States is filled filled with people who have lots of degrees and no jobs. Now, I'm not saying don't go to school. I'm just saying your life's not going to get better. Whatever it is, my life would be better if I ate that entire tub of ice cream. <laughs> In the moment, maybe you think so, but it isn't. My life would be better if I, if I just had that, you know, the garage sale. If I just had this, then it's, oh, if I just had this. And pretty soon you're on that show hoarding. You know, you're buying the house next door to store your stuff. How would you fill in that blank? My life would be better. You guys, if it's anything but Jesus, then that's your idol. That's your God. Whatever you would fill in that blank. And it may be a good thing. Guys, employment is a good thing. But it's a terrible ultimate thing. Money. Money's a good thing. You need it. Believe me. Try planning a church without any. (laughs) You need money. It's not bad. But it's a terrible ultimate thing. people, relationships. God has wired you for that. God's wired you for community and for relationships. And the Bible says it's not good for man to be alone. It's a good thing. But you guys, whenever you take a good thing and you make it a God thing, it becomes a bad thing. You take a good thing and you turn it into a God thing, it will absolutely let you down 100% of the time. They're not bad things. Most of the things that you're wrestling with and struggling with are not bad things. They just become terrible ultimate things. Like the dude that's addicted to video games. Like, hey, an hour a week, 
That's a good thing. Six hours a day? No. That ain't a good thing. Whatever it is. God is good, so I don't have to look elsewhere. My life would be better if, however you answer that question, that's your God. That's what you worship. Second question, to, to really know if, if God's good to you, like brass tacks, rubber meets the road, what is your motivation for obedience? See, if God's good, your motivation for obedience is going to be his goodness. It's a, it's a different affection, right? But this is most of us. Most of us, it's the cop in the rearview mirror. Hey, no cop around? I drive like a maniac. Use my blinker if I feel like it. I, I'm, I'm not really talking about myself here. More just, you know, hypothetical. Drive over the speed limit. You know, just California stops. You got a cop behind you? All of a sudden, you're like taking your traffic test. You're at the stop sign for like three minutes, looking both ways, making sure the wheels have come to a complete stop. You're using your blinker four miles ahead. Exact speed limit, paranoid, sweating, white knuckles. Do you think the cop that's behind you cares why you're doing it? You think he cares at all? Like, does he care if you're cussing him out or if you don't normally do it? In fact, he knows you don't normally do it. That's not what he's concerned with. He's concerned with what are you doing right now? As long as you're modifying your behavior for that moment, he's cool. And that's what we bring on, you guys, that's what we bring on to Jesus. We think that Jesus' desire is just to modify my behavior. He just wants to clean me up a little bit to modify me so that I'm not smoking, I'm not getting drunk, I'm not sleeping around, I'm not cussing. And as long as I'm doing those things, I'm reading my Bible, I'm praying, but man, my heart's really not in it. In fact, I'd much rather be doing those other things. That's not what Jesus has for us. What Jesus has for you is I'm good. Like legitimately what I'm offering you is better than that thing. So that when that sin is there, whatever it is, when that sin is there, the way to combat that is not white knuckles. It's not, oh, I just got to get through this because he just wants to modify my behavior. No, the way to combat that is to say, you know what? This thing is better than what Satan's offering me, what my flesh is offering me, what the world is offering me. Jesus is better. You guys, one of the great axioms of my life, I borrowed it from a, a good friend, Jeff. Jesus is the best thing about us. He's the best thing. Do you believe that? Is God good? Well, you'll know if God's good by 
your motivation for obedience? Is it just behavior modification? Did Jesus just come to kind of fix up the house? Is that what he did? He just came, slap a little paint on it, put a new front door, kind of fake some stuff, maybe some new appliances. Don't touch the countertops, too expensive. Is that, is that what Jesus has done, is just kind of modify? That's how most of us live. Let's just get a facade. Let's make things look good. That's the ultimate end goal of the gospel. No, that's not the ultimate end goal of the gospel. The ultimate end goal of the gospel is like demolition. Blow it up. Start over. Behold, I have made all things new. That's what he's doing. Now, that old house actually still kind of exists. It re- it's there, kind of pops up all the time. And I, I, this illustration works for me. But like you've got this old house, and then you've got this brand new house. Brand new. Everything's brand new. Over here, kind of modified, kind of sloppily done. It looks maybe decent from the outside, but man, you go in, there's rats, it stinks. Floors caved in, stuff falling from the ceiling. For whatever reason, I like to run to that house, though. I like to go there. Because I believe for some reason it offers me more than what this offers me. You see, Jesus wants you to identify with this, with your new nature. That's how you combat sin. You say, this is better. See, you guys, the gospel, the gospel does not make you less human. The gospel makes you more human. The gospel frees you to actually be who he created you to be. Sin and rebellion makes you less human. So the goal, the goal is not to like get rid of this flesh. The goal is not to get rid of everything material. That's like ancient heresy. That's ancient Greek philosophy that's crept into the church. It's terrible. It's terrible theology. There's no separation from your flesh and your spirit. God is doing a work. He's redeeming you. He's going to give you, ultimately, a brand new body. Physically. Jesus rose from the dead bodily. Physically. And he's doing that work in you. And so the goal is not, well, I just got to, you know, like the, the, the Hindu people that go down to the Ganges River every year and throw their babies in and whip themselves with chains. And we look at that on National Geographic and we go, that's screwed up, man. That's messed up. But you're doing the same thing. You're doing the same thing, just different. You think your sacrifice is going to appease God? You think your filter on your internet is going to change your heart, and it won't. You think your program 
It's going to change your life. Not a chance. Jesus. 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 He alone can change a heart. And many of us, have, we've allowed him in. We've allowed him in just far enough to kind of save us from his wrath. Like, I'm going to invite you in. I want you to be my savior, but not my Lord kind of thing. But I don't mean that in a legalistic sense. We've, we've allowed him in just far enough because we've got this wrong idea about the gospel. And that is that the gospel is sort of the front door of Christianity. Just the front door. I open it up. That gets me in. I walk in. And now I'm on my own. Well, the gospel's for sinners. And the last time I checked, we're all sinning. So we all need the gospel. You need it every single day. In fact, every single moment, you need to be preaching the gospel to yourself. And that's what I mean when I say, you can't have a bigger view, bigger vision for the gospel, for your neighborhood and your city than you do in your own heart. Because the last thing we need to do, you guys, is just perpetuate behavior modification. Jesus wants to radically revolutionize you. Like, ruin you, undo you, break you. Bring you to the end of yourself. Whatever type of person that you are. Are you the, are you the rebel? The younger prodigal son who took all the cash and spent it on wild living? The church has done a really good job of preaching at those people. Like we know how to hammer them. The dude that's tatted up, alcoholic, Sex addict. I mean, we, we got answers for that guy. You know what we don't have answers for? Goody tissues. Paul. World's full of them, you guys. It's your neighbor who you say, man, the guy doesn't know Jesus, but he's amazing. He's got a great marriage. Makes killer money. Good dad. How can that be? He's a goody tissues. He's a religious legalist. He believes that ultimate hope will be found in his righteousness. The rebel says ultimate hope will be found in me doing whatever I want. Whatever feels good, I'm going to do it. They're both approaching life for the same goal. Trying to find hope apart from Jesus. We've done a really good job of preaching at the, the rebel. Telling them, man, you need Jesus and he'll change your life. But we've left a whole segment of society believing that they can find him on their own. Man, we've done them a disservice. And it's because of our own legalism. It's because ultimately we believe that is what Jesus is in the business of. Making me a better person. Wrong. Wrong. He's in the business of bringing glory to himself. 
That's a tough, tough thing for us to comprehend, isn't it? Because we believe we're the center of the universe. He wants you to have a big view of him. And it will change everything. God is good, so I don't have to look elsewhere. Where are you looking? How would you answer those questions? My life would be better if... What is your motivation for obedience? Last point. God is gracious. Again, we believe that. We read about that. We say that. We sing it. Amazing grace. We write books about it. Not me, not you, but people have. What's so amazing about grace? Why grace changes everything? But has it changed you? Like, I want to write a book that says, Why Grace Has Changed Everything But Me and My Wicked Heart. God is gracious so that I don't have to prove myself. Man, this has been huge for me. Because you know what? I really want people to think highly of me. I really, really do. I really want people to think I'm a phenomenal Bible teacher. Like I've poured my life into that. And so when I went to Fort Collins and I was told, you're not called, like that crushed me. Because my identity was wrapped in that. Guess what? My identity's wrapped in Jesus. Hey, you're not called. Whatever, bro. It doesn't matter. I want people to think highly of me. I want to prove myself. I want to kind of make people think I was an athlete. Really wasn't. Kind of played a lot of pickup sports. But I got to kind of get in there, make people think something that really isn't true. Not really a lie, but not quite the truth. Or how about six months ago? Had to get a job. Remember the illustration, bicycle laying there? One of the realizations, yeah, got no money, need to get a job. There are no jobs. It's a bigger city, more people, same problem. So there is a call center. They're hiring like crazy, turnover, because nobody wants the job. Pays horrible. Get treated like, you know what? Not only by the employer but by the people on the other end of the phone so I get a job call center get screamed at all day go home depressed people ask me what what do you do well at that time I'm making zero in ministry bulk of my money's coming from this but how am I going to answer that question I'm a pastor really Actually, right now, you're an entry-level sales agent at a call center. But I don't really want to talk about that because that's not really cool. That's not impressive. I want people to know, I'm a pastor. So you're planning a church here, huh? What do you, what do you got? Uh, like six people. But I planted a church in Oregon. 
planted that thing from the ground up. They quit listening at this point, but I keep talking. Tell them all that I've done. They're not impressed. I'm impressed. They're not. Why couldn't I just leave it with, yep, I'm pastoring a church of six people and I work at a call center, but Jesus is enough. You know why? Because I really haven't allowed the grace of God and what he believes about me and what he said about me and what he said, the Father, to the Son from heaven as he's being baptized. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Guess what? You get to enter into that. Vicariously, the Father says that about you. This is my beloved son. This is my beloved daughter. I'm well pleased with you. Why? Because of how hard you've worked? No. Because, you guys, listen. Jesus not only died the death you could never die, he lived the life you could never live. You've got to tap into some of that. He lived the life you could never live. So you know what? Like my father's proud of me. Maybe you've never had anyone proud of you. You've never had anyone tell you, man, you did a good job. Your father is proud of you. Like he legitimately loves you. Guys, that you, you let that invade your heart and you don't have to prove yourself anymore. You don't have to be Uncle Rico back in 1982. All that I, you know how far I can throw a football? You know, we laugh at that, but that's a lot of us. That's a lot of us. Just shame. I didn't finish college. I don't have a degree. And I get that. I hang around dudes. I'm part of the Acts 29 network. Like 80% of the guys have doctorates and PhDs and master's degrees. And I've got an associate's from Calvary Chapel Bible College that's worth like pretty much not even the paper it's written on. <laughs> Where'd you go to school, bro? Ah. Uh, Southern California. <laughs> Where'd you go to seminary? Um, at my desk, like with a lot of books. I've read a ton. Start talking to them, though. Realize they've read more than me. Dang it. You read this? No, haven't read that. Heart sinks. Feel bad about yourself. Small view of God. That doesn't mean be lazy. It doesn't mean don't go to college. It doesn't mean pursue a career. It doesn't mean that at all. What it means is whatever lot you've received in life, whether it's a bad hand or not, 
you need to know that God is gracious. Sitting in a room full of church planners and in a really respected pastor got up. All these church planners are thinking, man, he's just going to encourage us. He's going to tell us how amazing we are. He gets up and he says, look, here's what I want to tell you. Some of you, some of you, very few of you, but some of you are going to be real successful. And some of you are going to be miserable failures. And those of you who are going to be miserable failures, you better be okay with that or get out. Because if you're not, you're basically saying, I don't trust the sovereignty of God. You know what? Some of you, like everything you touch turns to gold. Just, you know how to make money, invest. Some of you, it's just like holes in your pockets. Some of you just have amazing personalities and you're, you're just fun to be around and, and others of you are just kind of more just average. Some of you are really good looking, others of us, not so much. Like, are you okay with that? Or are you finding your identity in that? Look at our world. Got to go change my appearance and I got to go add this and take away that. God is gracious so I don't have to prove myself. His grace frees you to just be you because he loves you. Now, he wants to change you, and all these things are about change, but he loves you. He doesn't love the person you could become. He loves you. The grace of God, you guys, it frees us. And I'll close with this. It frees us to be real transparent. Because you start tapping into this, and I mean gospel community off the charts. Just living the gospel out in in front of each other, being vulnerable. Kind of like what I've done up here today. I mean, like I said, it's kind of like a counseling session. I'm not saying... Because I'm so great. No, it's because I... It's like, I got nothing. But when you start doing this, it's attractive to lost people. Big time. It just propels mission. It propels community. But unfortunately, we don't live this way in Christian community very often. Most of the time... The church says, look, in order to get into this thing, you need to admit you're a sinner. But then we don't ever want to hear you talk about your sin ever again. Or we may just kick you out of here. Such a misunderstanding of the gospel. It's not just the front door, it's the whole house. We need to Come in through the gospel, admit our sin, admit our need for Jesus, apply the blood to our life, recognize its sufficiency, call out for redemption, and then keep doing that and repent well. And recognize that repentance, you guys, it's a great joy. 
It's not a drudgery. It's not something to be ashamed of. Like it is a joy, a privilege. And it's an amazing privilege to do that with others. That's what the church is supposed to be. We start living that way, blow the doors off your neighborhood. So that's attractive to people. Because we all got junk. We all got stuff. And the pe- people say, well, I don't want to go to church because it's filled with hypocrites. They're not so much saying that we're sinners or that we mess up. Because I think they're smart enough to recognize that in their own life. What they're saying is, that place is full of a bunch of people that screw up just like me and yet they don't admit it. And they hide it. And we keep saying, oh, Christians aren't perfect, we're just forgiven. Oh, yeah, we had to admit we're sinners. Yeah, 20 years ago. But how about today? And let, let these truths resonate with you. God is great, so I don't have to be in control. God is good, so I don't have to look elsewhere. God is gracious, so that I don't have to prove myself. Man. Good, good truths. Let's pray. Jesus, I I don't want to just preach this. I want to live this. I want this real for me. I want this real for each person. God, I thank you for the privilege of being a part of this work here in Prineville to, to set this in motion by your grace, by the Holy Spirit. I thank you for what you're doing here through Pastor Rory and the, and the great elder team here. I thank you for these men. I pray your blessings on this church. God, I pray that these truths could be lived out here in Prineville and Crook County and that it would just revolutionize individual lives as well as this city, this county, this region. But God, start with us. Right now, Jesus, we invite you to do gospel transformation in our own heart right now. May these truths just stew in us today. And may it change us for your glory, for our good. And we pray these things in Jesus' great, glorious, good, and gracious name. Amen.